Hello, and welcome to the Research Podcast from Georgia State University, available wherever podcasts are found. In each episode, we highlight interesting and innovative research happening at Georgia State. We feature a different faculty member and a different topic each month, so you can learn more about research taking place across the university. I'm Jennifer Rainey Marquez, your host and Associate Director of Research Communications at Georgia State. My guest in this episode is Frank Lengel-Williams, Professor of Anthropology and author of the recent book, Fathers and Their Children in the First Three Years of Life, An Anthropological Perspective. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Williams about the evolution of father care, how fatherhood differs across cultures, and why involved fathers are so important for both families and societies. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Williams. Thank you. So let's start, if you don't mind, uh, just by explaining what inspired you to write this book and sort of when you first began working on it. Well, I began thinking about the book when my wife and I were at a bookstore. She was pregnant. It was 2005. Uh, I noticed for expecting mothers, there was an enormous literature, but the book selection available for expecting fathers was quite paltry in comparison and limited to a few self-help books and popular psychology of fatherhood uh, books, as well as humoristic impressions. What was entirely missing was any rigorous study about how father care and the husband father came to be. Uh, From my training as an anthropologist and my research in paleoanthropology, I realized that there was an important story to tell, one that hadn't been told before, concerning how dads came to be and its relationship to how infants learn how to become human. I wrote the book in fits and starts as other commitments continually demanded my immediate attention, including the birth of two other children, a daughter in 2008 and another son in 2012. However, by 2015, I became fully engrossed in hunting for evidence of fathering behavior buried deeply within the historical and ethnographic accounts of peoples across the continents. So I love that your own children inspired this book and that like any parent, of course, they interrupted your writing as well. Um, Can you give an example of how your own experience as a parent informed your research? Certainly. Uh, During the last few months of, of her pregnancy, my wife and I read voraciously about parenting neonates, infant development, breastfeeding, sleeping patterns of infants, and elimination communication. Upon the birth of our son, we tried to employ what we learned. For example, we swaddled and carried him while dancing and singing so that he would not have to cry himself to sleep. When my son was six weeks old, I was walking with him in Piedmont Park in Atlanta, and I saw a dad with his baby in a pocket sling. This is just a piece of fabric folded in two and sewn together in a circle to be worn over one shoulder. This so-called new native sling changed my life. Suddenly, I felt like I could handle any upheaval that might arise with our son because, in fact, he would immediately stop crying when placed in in the sling. And this is true with the other children as well. When our our daughter was born two and a half years later, I remember being uh, momentarily overwhelmed. But when I realized that the new baby could just go on the sling and be perfectly content, 
while I tended to my young son's needs, I, it was just an enormous relief. Such a useful tool, I surmised, must have been invented multiple times in prehistory and probably not too long after obligate walking came about uh, with the legs. I was also captivated by watching my children succeed in learning how to walk prior to their first birthday. Of course, infants don't learn how to walk on their own. They're taught to walk by direct observation and active encouragement. This means walking is a cultural trait that has been passed down each generation for the past five million years. Imagine my surprise when my son, who was just over two years old, suddenly within a few weeks, internalized grammar rules, correct syntax and semantics. He had spoken short sentences beforehand and had learned gestural communication by about 18 months. But the sudden acquisition of linguistic competence in other words, the art of conversation, or dare I say language explosion, parallels the evolution of language, or at least what we know about it. It probably occurred abruptly from a proto-language. This proto-language was certainly preceded by some kind of gestural communication that was made possible earlier by freeing of the arms from their locomotive responsibilities so that food, tools, and most importantly, babies could be carried safely. I was also surprised to learn that by the point of about three years of age, children fully mastered the most important social rules of human behavior. This of course is when the brain is about 80% of its adult values and when the brain starts to plateau in terms of its growth rate. Wow, I love that. And I would have never thought of the idea that carrying infants allowed for language to develop. That's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so the book focuses specifically on the role of fathers during a child's first three years of life. Why did you focus on that window? Why is that period so important? Thanks for asking, because this is really a critical window of father bonding. If fathers don't bond during this time, either because it's not part of their culture or they're physically separated or they're so consumed with their work and life outside the family, it's actually more likely that they will become a detached parent in the long term. Without the bonding, fathers are less likely to contribute to the next two decades of a child's life. And so in that sense, fatherhood meets an evolutionary need. In a small-scale society, when your life or death depends on being offered food and care from others, this bonding becomes extremely important. It's maybe surprising to people that even amongst hunter-forager gatherers thousands of years ago, it still took two decades for children to be able to fend and forage for themselves. Up until that time, they're given food or given instruction on how to get food. It allowed male provisioning of children over this long period of time. Hmm. So when we think about bonding behaviors today, a lot of people might um, you know, imagine fathers cuddling their infants or carrying them, changing diapers, <laughs> feeding them, playing. What kind of bonding behaviors were taking place thousands of years ago? What did this look like? Some of it was the same. Caring infants has a long evolutionary history. Human infants can't hang on to their parents' fur the same way that primates can. And when you don't have strollers, baby carriers, 
uh, and other types of devices, it's, it's really about upper body strength. There's evidence that fathers, as well as mothers, of course, were carrying their babies it, uh, for a long time in prehistory. Fathers were very likely to have been essential to raising infants. This is, of course, in addition to grandmothers, aunts, siblings, and others who contributed to feeding and caring for such large, socially needy infants and young children. Indeed, it would have been energetically impossible or at least very difficult under the best of circumstances for mothers to successfully raise children without help. Yet fathers were probably critical for reasons other than providing sperm, food, and protection. Father caretakers provided infants the opportunity to optimally learn ling linguistic and behavioral sex differences. Becoming a socially recognized father of a neonate activates an evolved hormonal response in men. During the critical window between birth and three years, human fathers develop the capacity to bond with their infants, increasing the probability that males stuck around for the entirety of maturation, lasting two decades. Positive caretaking by fathers, which includes caring infants daily for hours, gave tremendous benefits to children in terms of their social development, but also socialized males as husband fathers, setting the foundation for human society as we know it. Wow. Um, I One thing in the book that I found so interesting is how you talk about the ways that different cultures have different rituals to encourage fathers to accept the responsibilities that come with child rearing. What do some of these rituals entail? In a lot of cultures, even in the present day, there are various rituals known as kuvade or kuvad, as you wish, that bring attention to fathers-to-be uh, at the birth of a child. Uh, and the attention that fathers are given is that this birth of a child is a responsibility. These ancient customs became so important for males because they drew males to the family unit. In other words, Kuvade provides legitimacy to the child's need of a father. And what are some examples of the these, cost, these ancient customs that you just spoke of? There are lots of examples. Let me just talk about a few. Uh, in some cultures, males are starved. Whoa. Whereas in others, they're fed lavish meals. In traditionally, traditionally in continental Europe, it's called male child bed. In parts of Scotland, it was called married, married man's toothache. Cuvade can involve dramatic empathetic performances of labor and delivery. And this occurred, occurred in New Ireland as well as in Amerindian California. Cuvade can involve food taboos and avoidance of certain objects such as knives as traditionally practiced in Borneo and elsewhere across the planet. In cultures around the world, recent fathers would lie in bed for varying lengths of time, sometimes depending on the culture, one to two weeks, and other cultures up to 40 days, to assume the responsibility of being a parent and also to assume the role of a caregiver. 
So it's so interesting to me that you were discussing how there's often these performances of labor and lying in bed, uh, which we associate a lot of times with mothers. Mm -hmm. And your book also talks about another interesting phenomenon called Cuvade syndrome, which um, in which men experience actual pregnancy symptoms, which I think we sometimes hear about today um, in, you know, funny media stories about, Mm -hmm. you know, men um, who, who are acting like they're pregnant. Why does this occur? It's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, And we do hear about males gaining weight during their partner's pregnancy and other types of phenomena that are uh, somatic in their, uh, in their effect. But these practices differ dramatically from the traditional behaviors uh, associated with Cuvade. Uh, In Cuvade syndrome, males mimic their partner's emotional and physiological states during pregnancy. And so in this way, Cuvade syndrome is individualistic, it's idiosyncratic, and represents an extreme empathy by gestational fathers. So in in the in the extreme empathy part, I guess that's a good thing. Um, so the way that fathers are expected to behave um, and the amount of childcare traditionally performed by fathers varies a great deal between societies. What are some of the factors that can influence whether fathers take on a more active role in their child's life? That's an interesting question. Whether a male takes a more active role seems to correspond with two things, gender relations and subsistence activities. If there's more egalitarian relations between the sexes, males are more open to participating in the domestic sphere. In some societies, males will participate in childcare as long as there are no other males around. <laughs> it shows you that the relationship between the sexes really dictates male involvement in childcare. Types of subsistence activities also factor in. Hunter-gatherer societies tend to have more father involvement, as do horticultural small-scale societies. And wh- why is th- why is it that those societies tend to have more? Well, it appears that the lack of status differences and the lack of material wealth accumulation in these small-scale societies, it seems to translate into less segregation of the sexes and indeed a greater fluidity of role sharing, including that of caregiver of an infant. Generally, herders and pastoralists have the most distant fathers because in these societies, the sexes are completely separated and males have no contact with infants and children. So they're off tending to a flock of sheep for six months or something. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, so interesting. So I wanna ask you a little bit about some generational differences now. Um, You know, our grandparents, even our parents' generation had a very different parenting experience than, um, than we see today. How has father care changed over the past several decades? That's an interesting development, uh, in fact. And what we see is that what fathers did uh, in, the, in the 
past is not necessarily what's been practiced for centuries upon centuries. And it's certainly not how we evolved. What's interesting here is that recent nuclear families in which males are heavily involved are actually recreating an evolutionary past. It's really been since the advent of agriculture and animal husbandry about 10,000 years ago that male involvement with infancy was interrupted in place of males the extended family took that role. In the 1950s and even into the 1960s when the expanded family was, uh, the expanded, expanded family proximity was tapering off, you had the full-time homemakers present who could fill in the gap a bit as well as older siblings. In contrast, what we have now is more nuclear families living without the proximity of extended family and often with both parents working. This is reshaping the family into something quite similar to how we evolved because both males and females contributed amongst hunter-gatherer societies. And so the take-home message is that it's actually quite natural and evolutionarily important for men to be involved in childcare, and it benefits fathers as well as their children. How so? How, how do fathers benefit? Well, when males spend a lot of time with children and infants in particular, they experience a drop in testosterone, which may be tied to a lower risk of prostate cancer. Hmm. Study, studies have shown that, that lower testosterone in dads may foster better parenting skills and perhaps more importantly, less risky behavior. And of course, having involved fathers benefits infants from a developmental perspective. For example, when we learn to shape and share our experiences and express emotions by caring for others. Of course, it's entirely speculative, but fossil studies show that modern fatherhood may have emerged during the time of Homo erectus about 2 million years ago, which is when empathy emerged as well. We couldn't be human without the role of fathers. This is how we evolved and how humans long developmental period that wouldn't really be possible without auxiliary caretakers, which dads are first and foremost. And today, how critical are fathers when it comes to raising infants and children? It appears that fathers are extremely critical in terms of raising infants today. In societies in which males have very little contact with infants, these are the same societies that we see increased warfare, an incredible amount of male violence, and indeed more asymmetrical gender relations. In fact, divorcing fathers from their children during infancy has negative repercussions on society as a whole. And so young males who are brought up in a female-centered world and then thrust into a male-centered world upon puberty have a difficult time going back and interacting with females when they become married. This of course can lead to domestic violence and unequal power relationships. Even in our society, when you look at criminality, violent behavior, drug abuse, psychosocial problems, in fact, a common thread is often fatherlessness. It's not just being a parent that uh, is, is important and being present, but also having a warm, positive relationship as a father with children that is extremely important. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really fascinating 
uh, evolutionary tour through fatherhood, Dr. Williams. And it's been really great having you here with us today. Thank you. This has been the research podcast from Georgia State University featuring Frank Langle Williams, professor of anthropology and author of the book, Fathers and Their Children in the First Three Years of Life, An Anthropological Perspective. For more conversations about research taking place across Georgia State, look for the research podcast wherever podcasts are found. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.